Give yourself time to eat a good breakfast. From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago and PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is a ReSound Special. Into his mouth went some egg, and there was some bacon, so he stuffed in part of that. Two small pancakes and a cup of coffee every day at 8 o'clock. ReSound is a remix. Music, documentaries, found sound, sound bites, and every once in a while, delicious little stories we ask you to create. The average life of a taste bud is 10 days. <laughs> Gobble down the cereal, a couple of big spoonfuls, one right after the other. Well, listen, we heard that marijuana can stimulate appetite. Today, we'll devote ReSound to the Third Coast 2013 Short Docs Challenge. The theme was one of my favorite subjects, appetite. We received 240 entries from 14 countries. and all hour, we'll be dishing up our best entries to the challenge and our best and worst food puns. Plus, we'll talk to former Third Coast Artistic Director Julie Shapiro about the rules, the ingredients, and our collaboration with the James Beard Foundation. I hope you're hungry. Stay with us. Welcome, Julie. So great to have you here. I would not miss this opportunity for the world. Let's jump right in to the idea of the Short Docs Challenge, which you came up with, I don't know, what, six, seven years ago? And we've been doing it every year since. why? Why have we been doing this? The short docs occurred as an idea as a way to generate new work. Uh, brand new people could try something for the first time, and seasoned producers could stretch themselves beyond their usual producing habits and you know, try something they'd always wanted to try. So every year we pick a theme and a collaborator, and the 2013 theme was appetite. How did you come up with that? Well, to be honest, I didn't come up with it. I had thought about just food. Um, so as I got the word out about the food idea, a producer spoke up who's worked a little bit with the James Beard Foundation. So we got in touch with James Beard, started talking to them about being our official collaborator. They were very interested, but in our conversations with them about the theme, they suggested taking it to the idea of appetite, which immediately is a much more interesting idea to think about because it takes you into, through, and perhaps beyond just food stories. The James Beard Foundation, for those who aren't familiar, is uh, an organization based in New York that celebrates every aspect of food culture and innovation in food. Um, I think they really are considered the mark of excellence to be be awarded by them is really a true honor uh, throughout the culinary culture in this country. So let's talk about the rules that entrants into the Short Docs Challenge had to follow. Right. Every year we pick a few rules because we've found, it was proven from the first year on, that if you give people a few things to get them going, some prompts, rules, things to follow, uh, challenges to answer to, really can help foster creativity for people and story ideas. So uh, the three rules this year dealt with topic, structure, and semantics. And these are things we often do with the rules. So topic-wise, you had to, uh, we asked that your story connect to the idea of appetite or be inspired by appetite. Structurally, we asked that you serve, quote unquote, your story in three courses. And then semantically, you had to take one of the five tastes. So that's salt, sweet, bitter, sour, and umami. 
and put one of those tastes in your title of the piece. And like every other year, sort of our rule of thumb is it can't exceed three minutes. Let's dig in and start listening. Sweet Sweet Victory by Logan Jaffe. It was a normal day at Victory's Banner restaurant until one very regular customer didn't show up. Marge Stumpf has ordered the same thing at the same time from the same restaurant every day for 14 years. Two small pancakes and a cup of coffee every day at 8 o'clock. That's Pradhan Balter. And we're sitting inside the restaurant that I, I'm the owner, although I always joke that I'm the ower, that the N is a typo. <laughs> the restaurant is called Victory's Banner, and it's a vegetarian breakfast place. Pradhan says that Marge is such a regular here that he's had to establish some rules with her. If she doesn't come, she has to call us. But yesterday, she didn't come. And she didn't call. So we have keys, because we check on her. And she, um, in fact, she couldn't get up. As fate would have it, we escorted her to the hospital. And uh, she cracked her pelvis. Now, Pradhan has practiced meditation for about 40 years. And from the way he runs Victory's Banner, you can tell. He says that beyond serving people food, it's about serving people's hearts. So he gets an idea. Okay, so we have to somehow, we're gonna make Marge's pancakes. Okay, two pancakes. He tells Joseph, the guy in the kitchen, and he starts scooping batter from a five gallon bucket. And Reedy starts pouring her coffee and Lisa runs outside to pick some flowers. And he's going to take them to the hospital. Marge is sitting in her hospital bed, looking more bored than ill. Okay, what do you want to know? My name is Marge. She looks at Pradhan. You got a restaurant, Victor Banner, and I'm going there every day, have my little pancake, and meet a lot of very, very nice people, especially him. She's 89 years old. She immigrated from Berlin to the States through Ellis Island in the 1950s. Okay, dear, these are all cut for you, and you've got maple syrup on there if you want. Okay, thank you very much. And I got our coffee here. Oh, Pradhan. (laughs) She talks about her childhood, about picking berries next to a concentration camp, not knowing what was there. And there was smoke coming out. Oh, and it smelled horrible. And watching Hitler refuse to shake Jesse Owens's hand. Oh, my God. But when she talks about her pancakes... Oh, God. You want to see him? I let her try it. You're going to let me try it? Yeah, try it. Okay. They just might be the best pancakes I've ever had. They're very good. And I ask her how she feels about her life these days, knowing that... At least she can get her pancakes wherever she wants. Beautiful. Beautiful. Especially this guy. Thank you, thank you. Sweet Sweet Victory by Logan Jaffe. Sweet Aunt Nuska by Jeremy Wilmot and Matt Thomas. Aunt Nuska has lost her appetite and the whole family bonds together to find a remedy. One day I'm at university and I get a phone call. Hello. Hi, Jim. It's Dad. Oh, hey, he Dad. says, Look, sorry, sorry to tell you this, but 
Nuska isn't doing very well. Mm. She might not survive. Aunt Nuska is my grandmother's stepsister. She's a really sweet old lady. The thing is, she's lost her appetite. She's not eating anything. My dad's a doctor, by the way. The best thing we can do for her at the moment is to try and increase her appetite. Yeah, so... Well, listen, we heard that marijuana can stimulate appetite, so we were wondering if you uh, knew where to, uh, you know, to get some. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, well, as in I can ask around for you, yeah. Okay, well, listen, if you need me to put this on my credit card, just let me know. I don't want you to be out of pocket for this, okay? My parents had found a bong in my room a few years back, so I, I think they just assumed that I was going to be the master in this area. Anyway... I was sad to hear about Aunt Nuska, but she was old, probably her time to go. But I had this real sense of family duty creep in, where, yeah, I really did actually have to score my auntie some weed. But I couldn't just pop over to the guy on campus. His stuff, chronic stuff. If it didn't give her the munchies, mate, it was going to kill her. But then I remembered my mate had this Uncle Tony who was more into the grass clippings. He was a bit of an old hippie. So I took it upon myself to prescribe my auntie some of Uncle Tony's bush weed. So I deliver the weed to my mum, who's going to bake it into some cookies. She's an amazing cook. And she cooks the weed into these amazingly delicious-looking cookies, but, you know, obviously with hash in them. Anyway, they're so tempting. There is no way Aunt Nuska is going to be able to resist these. And the phone rings. Hello? Oh. Aunt Nuska's called it a day. She's passed away. Oh, that's so sad. Life goes on. A few weeks go by, maybe even a month. And I'm at my mum and dad's place, just hanging out, watching TV. I'd seen the cookies in the kitchen on a few occasions, but even though I was tempted to, you know, hoe into them, I didn't because, you know, mum and dad are there and their absence would be, you know, rather conspicuous. Then out of the blue, finally today, mum calls out from the kitchen. Hey, what are we going to do with these cookies? Anybody want one? Anybody want one? Whoa. I'm thinking, um... And dad beats me to it, to my surprise. Dad. Yeah. I'll have one. So I'm like, okay. And we munch on some cookies. I'm munching on a hash cookie with my dad. Now I should mention that my mother and father already have a healthy appetite. They don't need to improve on that. I'm also certain that neither of my parents have ever actually tried pot in their life. And if they did, as the old saying goes, they didn't inhale. Anyway, we didn't talk much while we watched TV that night, but I did find it very entertaining. And once a year, in memory of my cheeky old Aunt Nuska, Mum, Dad and I enjoy some TV with a batch of very special cookies. Sweet Aunt Nuska by Jeremy W and Matt Thomas. Just look at that plate. He ate so fast. And do you think he ate enough? You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. Today we're showcasing entries in the 2013 Short Docs Challenge. The theme was appetite. The length, three minutes. The catch? Each story had to be presented in three distinct courses and have one of the five senses, sweet, salty, bitter, sour, or umami, in the title. Julie, when you talk about the rules that we give people, how closely do you expect people to follow those rules? How loose are they, or are they not? Well, I would say they're generally pretty loose because the idea isn't, it, it's not a very like draconian challenge, like you must do this, but we do want people to 
we want an organized effort. Um, so, but so we have to. We say the rules must be discernible in the ending piece, um, and I would say there's a bit of a, a spectrum of how discernible they have to be. Um, but the winning pieces should all follow the rules, and they may do that to different degrees. But in you know the third coast staff gets together to pick the winners, and by and large we will stand by uh, our assertion that the winning pieces follow the rules. That was Julie Shapiro, former Third Coast Artistic Director. Let's get back to the stories. Bittersweet Apostrophes by Tim Needles. The story of a lifelong relationship with fast food and the consequences that come with it. This is the story of the bittersweet apostrophes. Drive through. On my drive to work each day, I pass three McDonald's, and each time I salivate. I imagine the crispy bacon and the buttery biscuit, and then I eat my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. The problem is, I'm over 400 pounds, and this is the story of how I got here and how I'm trying to get out. Sure, no problem. Free range. That's how I grew up. My parents were young and distracted, and with three kids, we ate out a lot. They had no money, and the food was fast and cheap, so it wasn't long before drive through became a way of life, and I became addicted to the apostrophes. Because all the restaurants we ate at had the apostrophe S at the end. It was that special blend of fat and salt that seemed to make everything okay. It wasn't until I had an apartment that I realized I never learned to cook, And as I grew up, my palate developed and I made better choices, but I was never able to quit those apostrophes. High cost. This morning I weighed in at 430 pounds, which at my age of 37 is akin to a death sentence. My health is failing and I've been on a diet for at least half my life, but losing weight only gets more difficult. Not that it's impossible. I lost 150 pounds in the past only to gain it back. I learned that my appetite is less about food and more about finding the love and acceptance I never felt. I know stories like mine tend not to have happy endings, but I'm hoping to be one of those glorious exceptions. I usually never go out on Friday nights. But it's a day-by-day battle, and so far, I'm losing the war. It's crazy how this affects your life. <laughs> You're welcome. Have a good week. You too. Bittersweet Apostrophes by Tim Needles Sweet Cheesecake Heartbreak, Three Dates, by Katie Tulaski. Spicy kielbasa, sweet cheesecake, and a glass of Merlot, the foodstuffs of great and horrible dates. The average life of a taste bud is 10 days. On average, it takes 6 to 8 dates for a relationship to become exclusive. In college, I dated a guy. We'll call him Bob. He wrote me love letters. Since we first met on that schooner somewhere in the Straits of Malacca. His family was of Polish descent, and so is mine. I had this idea of us getting married and having 17 kids and this amazing hyphenated last name with skis flying everywhere. Ski, 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 But that's not how the story ended. One of our last dates was at a Polish restaurant. I found solace in the fried potatoes, boiled meat, and a pint or two of zivitz. A few weeks later, we broke up, and there were tears, and that was that. Was that? Was that? Was that? Was that? For several more relationships, and so I decided to go online. 
There are so many, many stories, all of them bad and hilarious, like the guy who asked me on the first date if I pee in the shower. <laughs> but this one, a fireman, handsome and brave, first date at the Cheesecake Factory, his choice, we have a lovely conversation. I wouldn't say the sparks were flying, but really, it was not horrible. We ate dinner, dessert was cheesecake, obviously, and made plans to hang out the following week. A day later, he texted me, telling me he had a nice time. I got distracted, though, and didn't write back. Fast forward a few days, I got a text message, or five. And another one bites into this rich, moist chicken dinner in the basement of this fancy restaurant. It was a private party in a private room with a private wine tasting, a great date with a foodie. One of only a handful with this guy, but who cares? When you're eating a four course meal with wine pairings and the chef is personally serving your food, Another glass of Merlot, a tour through your wine cellar, of course, I could get used to this. Although our love is not everlasting, this meal seems to be... Another course, madame. The, the average, average life of a marriage, marriage is eight, eight years. years. The, the average time it takes to digest food is 33 hours for men and 47 hours for women. 47 hours for me to digest this date, the dash of despair or the hint of joy, the potent potential or just a new story to tell. Sweet Cheesecake Heartbreak, Three Dates, by Katie Tulaski. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. Today, we're hearing entries to the 2013 Short Docs Challenge. Coming up after the break, a curiously powerful pepper and a voraciously hungry baby. Stay with us. Lunchtime is another time to practice good eating habits. At lunchtime, Bill had some fine sandwiches. Eat slowly and chew thoroughly. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival in Chicago and PRX, the public radio exchange. I'm Gwen Maxi. 
All hour, we're hearing our favorite entries to the 2013 Short Docs Challenge. The Short Docs Challenge is our call out to anyone, both rookies and pros alike, to produce short radio stories that follow a few rules. 2013's theme was appetite. The rules, each story had to be presented in three distinct courses and have one of the five senses, sweet, salty, bitter, sour, or umami, in the title. I'm here in the studio talking about the challenge with the woman who started it all, former Third Coast Artistic Director Julie Shapiro. So Julie, one of the other aspects of this challenge that I thought was so cool was that you invited five top Chicago chefs to make a dish that was based on the winning short docs that were based on appetite. So a dish made from a story based on appetite. Right. We had food inspired by story inspired by food, um, which was how I liked to think about it. Um, Yeah, this idea came because we often think about what are some incentives for people to make this work. Uh, We think it's a great incentive to try your hand at, you know, having fun making a radio story. Uh, uh, We archive all of the submissions on our website, and these are pieces that producers, new and old, can then use in their portfolios. And, you know, I think um, there's some fun in being part of this international challenge, but there's always it's always nice when there's actually a little bit more of an incentive. So we had free SoundCloud accounts for everyone who participated. Um, hats off to SoundCloud for offering those. And then, yeah, I had this idea, like, well, could we get chefs to think about um, food in relation to the stories. And we had a big culmination of, of the Short Docs Challenge with a public event where five top Chicago chefs responded to the winning stories with food, and we presented them live in front of an audience and invited each pro- winning producer to taste the dish that was inspired by the by their story. And then they all sat and had a communal feast together. So that was really unique, really like once-in-a-lifetime special, and it worked. And I think what it really proved was that this notion of there's so much creativity um, infused in the idea of culinary culture and story, and it was just the the perfect way to sum up uh, the potential for marrying the idea of story and food. That was Julie Shapiro, former Third Coast Artistic Director. Let's get back to hearing some of our favorite entries from the 2013 Short Docs Challenge. Hashtag Buzzy Numbing Electric Sour Spice by Jeff Town. The Sichuan peppercorn provides a confusing, disorienting, and compelling flavour to the spicy cuisine of Sichuan. Well, we call it hua jiao, and uh, hua means flower. It has a, like a floral taste to it, and uh, what jiao just means pepper. And I mean, I just call it Sichuan peppercorn. In China, you know, you go to market, you see like thousands of bags full of like super fresh peppercorns, so many different flavours. Yeah, I was in love with the peppercorns in Sichuan. We think about, you know, Sichuan peppercorns as being this Asian plant. But in fact, these xanthoxylums, they're a pretty common genus. And they always tend to be referred to as toothache trees. And they produce these nice little berries. And you get the exact same effect as you would in a, in a Sichuan pepper. I mean, it's like a numbing agent. The term for the numbing is ma. When everybody talk about Sichuan, is all about... Mala, which is numbing spice. They're still figuring out a lot about exactly how the Sichuan peppers are working, but it seems to be acting on the same classes of receptors as certain types of anesthetics 
So in fact, it really is a very similar effect to anesthesia. The compounds in Szechuan pepper are unsaturated alkalamides, and these have been shown to activate the ion channels on touch receptive nerve endings. And that explains a lot about how the tingling sensation is generated by these compounds. Well, my name is Han Jiang. I'm uh, the owner of Han Dynasty. Um, it's a Sichuan restaurant in America. We do authentic Sichuan. My name is uh, Joe Rucker. I'm a biochemist uh, by training, but I work on everything from viruses to taste. I'm a scientist of all trades. My name is Bruce Bryant. I'm a senior research associate at the Monell Chemical Senses Center. The center is devoted to smell, taste, and um, what we awkwardly call chemical irritation. Things definitely taste a little different after. Most of the time, people are sort of freaking out. People are thinking they have an allergic reaction or I put something in the water. You know, they, they, Some people say they have like a metallic taste. I mean, everybody's different. People will say it's buzzing. Buzzing in your mouth. A buzzing feeling in your mouth. Tingling sensation. The numbing. It makes my mouth numb, but not like pins and needles numb. It's pins and needles. Ultimately, a really intense vibrating in your head. Like vibrating numb. To me, it's like going to a dentist. It's like shooting up no. Almost. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that feeling. Your mouth feels hot and cold at the same time. Sometimes it makes my nose twitch. Almost like a hint of wine flavor. Like eating a really sour candy. It's electric. It's like biting into a battery. I liken it to the shock that you get from a pretty dead smoke detector battery. There are currents of energy going through your tongue. For me, it's five to seven volts. It's addictive. It's like LSD for your mouth. Hashtag Buzzy Numbing Electric Sour Spice by Jeff Town. Sweet Baby June Eats the World by Matt Largy. One night in the life of our eight-month-old daughter, June. Why don't I just tell you why I'm tired? That sounds like a plan. I am tired because my beautiful, wonderful child is a very voracious, consuming little beast. 10.47 p.m., the first bottle. Open the top, fill it with water, add the formula, close it, shake it, pop it, serve at room temperature. And then you do it until you hear this sound. Which means she's sucking air. Which means she's done. That's a key in the nighttime when the light's not on. Turn on soothing baby sounds. Wait for sleep to wash back over her. Three seventeen a.m. The second bottle. Open. Water. Formula. Close, shake, pop, serve. Sometimes I'll watch her while she sleeps, wonder what she dreams about. The faraway places and the pictures in that magazine she ate yesterday, or just the feel of that glossy paper soggy in her mouth. The sound as she crinkles the paper in her tiny, clumsy hands. After all, the world's hers to consume. Every sight, smell, and texture is new and wonderful. 
and she's hungry for it all. Seven twenty a.m. The third bottle. When she wakes up in the morning, if I'm not awake yet, she just starts smacking me in the face. And then when I open my eyes, she's there and her eyes light up. And she's so happy. And I'm not sure if she's happy because I'm awake or if she's happy because she made me be awake. The look on her face is so great. It's a good thing because when you get waked by being slapped in the face repeatedly, whoever did it better be darn cute. Sweet Baby June Eats the World by Matt Largy. Essen My Sweet by Dina Princip and Joanna Stein. Residents in a Jewish assisted living facility recall what they have hungered for over the courses of their lives. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody, please come in for breakfast. My mother baked the upside down cake and fish after Yom Kippur. When I was a child, we had lots of balls, a lot of stuffed chicken, and everything was good. One thing I remember about my mother, she loved to cook gefilte fish. And personally, I love the smell of cooking gefilte fish. It smells Jewish. <laughs> Rendered chicken fat, schmaltz. Coffee cake. I love her coffee cake. It doesn't really stand out because it was all good. <laughs> good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. The main dining room is now open. Everybody, please come in for lunch. We're eating. I never considered myself a good cook, but apparently my kids did. Oh, you made this for us, and oh, you made And you know, I just thought it was food. <laughs> my husband was very easy to please. No matter what I made, it was perfect for him. Well, I did a lot of the cooking, but he washed the dishes, for which I was very grateful. I made chicken soup one day. And my husband looked at me and said, where's your mother? I said, she's at home, I guess. I don't know where she is. He said, well, who made the soup? <laughs> it seemed as soon as the children were old enough to go to college, the kitchen was empty. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. The main dining room is now open for Safa. I think the, the best part about not fixing your own meals is that uh, you don't have to shop, you don't have to cook them, and best of all, you don't have to clean afterwards. <laughs> With a group like this, there are so many different tastes. You'll hear one, I love it, and another one say, oh, I couldn't eat it. And that's human. You have to put up with it. We had a head chef who was a vegan, who was so... Um, skinny and... <laughs> they didn't have Jewish mothers to cook for them. You know, we have the same waiters, and we know their names. They are warm, friendly, uh, almost maternal and paternal. Yeah, it's not your home. It's not a restaurant. 
It's somewhere in between. So much in your lifetime is wrapped around food, of course, good and bad, and in between. And uh, there's there's so many stories any one of us could tell about it. Essen, My Sweet by Dina Princip and Joanna Stein. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. Coming up after the break, the winners of the 2013 Short Docs Challenge, including the first ever People's Choice Award. Stay with us. Father is certainly enjoying his supper. So is mother. Doesn't it taste good? You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival in Chicago and PRX, the public radio exchange. I'm Gwen Maxi. Today we're hearing some of the best entries to our 2013 Short Docs Challenge. And I'm in the studio with Julie Shapiro, getting the lowdown on what turned out to be our most successful Short Docs Challenge ever. We had, I think, close to 250 entries this year from a dozen-plus countries. So with that many entries, what made these winners stand out for you? Oh, it's always so hard to pick the top. But basically, we start with the parameters we use when we're listening to full-length documentaries, too. We think about story choice. We think about technical quality. How are the rules used? And you know, how is sound used to tell the story? This is an audio medium. You know, some of it's intangible and it's just a feeling you get from hearing a piece that makes it your favorite. At the end of the day, we had to pick four. And then for the first time this year ever, we, we let the people decide. We had a People's Choice Award um, by putting you know some top contenders online and letting folks vote on which was their favorite. This time was really interesting because as we got closer and closer to the winning picks, we realized that these stories were sort of falling into conventional film genres. And once that idea occurred, we sort of couldn't stop thinking about it. So I, I, I think y- you'll hear what, what we mean as we, as we listen to the winners. Okay. Well, let us listen to our last five. And just a note, I should say here that we are going to come back after we hear each one to talk about exactly why we loved it. My Umami Gas Mask by Sam A.G. A bleak future with nothing good to eat except your gas mask. 
After the accident, the government recommended we all buy gas masks. They said the radiation, methane, and ozone combination might poison the air on hot, sunny days. I rushed down to the Army surplus store and bought one. The instructions said to put it on and adjust the straps for a snug fit. Inhaling. At first it smelled like rubber, but that scent gave way to something more more complex. Smells remind me of places, like there's a certain musty aroma that immediately takes me back to my grandma's house. After 15 minutes of breathing, I realized that my gas mask smelled like my favorite restaurant downtown, the Golden Sun. Six months after the accident, most of the food supply dried up. The canned goods we hoarded were running low, and we felt hungry all the time. National Guard handed out these things called protein cakes and barrels of desalinated water. For my birthday, I opened my last can of mandarin oranges. Mm. A year later, we were all eating three protein cakes a day. There was nothing else. Salty, crunchy, and bland. I was sick of salt and crunch. I threw my half-eaten cake across the room. A minute later, still hungry, I went to get it. It had landed on a pile of stuff in the corner that included my gas mask. A total waste of money. The poison air predicted by the government never happened, at least not here. But I remembered that smell, and I put it on. There it was. I took the mask off and pinched it between my fingers. I licked it, a little rubbery, but also maybe sweet and sour and meaty. I grabbed scissors and I started cutting little squares. I soaked them in a bowl of water for an hour, got out my camp stove, frying pan, the last bit of cooking oil. When was the last time my mouth watered like this? Mm, mm, mm. It tasted like, like the golden sun. My Umami Gas Mask by Sam Ag. There you have it, radio science fiction. And, of course, the bleak, kind of bizarre nature of this idea he had um, was so appealing to me. I think the combination of the writing and the sound really gives you that apocalyptic dread that the author is trying to generate, that Sam's trying to generate through the writing. And who could possibly make a gas mask appetizing and he does yeah all, all things considered it it's not it doesn't sound too bad by the end of course um the sound of you know butter frying in a frying pan can just about get anyone's appetite going but we thought this one took some chances and at the end of the day it really succeeded in 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 all of, in all of what it tried to do i agree So uh, next up, we have our 
experimental art house micro cinema submission. The Last Morning Was a Sweet One by Alex Blair. A story in sound of food from start to finish. The Last Morning Was a Sweet One by Alex Blair. This story accomplishes something that I think is actually very difficult, but seems deceptively simple. On the outside, it's just this beautiful uh, story told in sound, but I know that she recorded more than one day, and I know that so much went into the production of this piece. 
Oh, the editing in this piece. Yeah, I think unless you're involved with radio production, you may not um, quite appreciate it. get the sense of how much went into this. But first of all, the recordings are beautiful. They're very pure. There's a lot of depth in the recording, so you really get a sense of space. One of the things I think uh, Alex really accomplishes with this is it's kind of apolitical, and you can't really say it's a piece that speaks to or for um, eating animals. I think it just asks a lot of questions and does this in a very artistic, poetic, patient way. All right, so what's next? Well, going down our list of film genres in this year's Short Docs winners, we have our foreign film submission. All right. Celle Trois Foissons, or in English, Salt Three Ways, by Kelly Jones. No one has an appetite for perfection and swearing like a Quebecois in search of poutine. Oh, I don't know. Hey, ça, ça va. Ça va faire une maudite poutine. Bon. Ben, OK, on est prêt là. Voilà. Ben, au début, il y a des pommes de terre. In the beginning, there are the potatoes. The potatoes must be stored at 8.7 degrees Celsius until they are freshly sliced, very thick, as they are the vehicles that will transport the world into your mouth. The potatoes must be cooked in pure, unadulterated lard. Vegetable oil will not allow the poutine to stick to your ribs in the proper manner. Mon Dieu, saint, de la pocatière, qu'est-ce qu'il fait là? C'est quelqu'un Voilà. Deuxièmement, la sauce. On parlerait de la sauce. La sauce doit être épaisse, comme la mélasse. Second, the gravy must be as thick as molasses. Ma fourchette en plastique vers le haut. If I cannot stand my plastic fork straight up at a 90-degree angle with the bottom of the bowl, then the gravy is not gravy. It is pepper water. The smell of the gravy must transport me to my grandmother's kitchen. I must taste elusive hints of smoked meat, vinegar, and the grain that was fed to the chickens that became the gravy. No. No, 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 madame. No. Ça, c'est la merderie. La sauce, c'est la merderie. Troisièmement, là. Troisièmement. Et ça, c'est la plus importante. Il faut, il faut utiliser du lait caillé, du cheddar blanc. Third, and most important, one must use white cheddar curds made from milk given willingly by cows descended from those that gave the milk for the curds for the first poutine in 1957. Mais le cahier doit être grincé quand je meurs dans eux et je dois goûter. The curds must squeak when I bite into them, and I must taste hints of cultural supremacy, athletic dominance, and secession. C'est trop, mais ça doit être là. Il n'y a que cette poutine, frites, le gravy, les cahiers. And there is only this poutine, fries, gravy, curds. Do not serve me your fancy variations. Poutine is not like jazz. You cannot improvise. Yes, poutine is simple. But it is subtle. No. Silence. 
Je goûte rien que la silence. Ceci n'est pas une poutine. Sel trois façons, or in English, salt three ways. So here's my question about this story. Did you know that this piece was entirely constructed? In other words, there were actors, it was written, and this person was not a real chef talking about her real feelings about poutine. I have to admit, I did not know that. Uh, my first inkling was when I played the piece for a bunch of Canadians, and they were immediately all over her accent and said she's not from <laughs> Quebec. <laughs> so then I thought, hmm, maybe maybe this isn't what it seems to be. Well, I didn't either. I thought she was real, too. And so when I found out that um, it was all a ruse, uh, I was actually that much more impressed with it because I thought that they really did a good job. Of course, I can't discern the accent, but um, I just thought it was really well done and, and it had a the trajectory of how absurd it gets. You know, it starts out slowly and then it gets just so over the top at the end. It makes perfect sense in retrospect that, yes, this was just a great piece of writing, you know, to our ears, very well performed. And, you know, hats off to Kelly for pulling it off. And I think in terms of memorable lines, you know, Putain is not like jazz. It cannot be improvised. <laughs> is it, it will is a keeper. Absolutely. So I'm just curious, how what category would you put this next story in? Uh, we would very carefully put it into erotica, and in fact, you're not going to hear all of it. You're going to hear a taste uh, from the top, and then we'll talk about it a little bit more. Okay. Salt on the Lips by Jenny Asano. David channels his frustrated desires into detailed fantasies for the perfect sensual feast. This is just an example of so like very spicy food, a beer, a tequila drink, Sonic Youth, and some scent that I've never had before. Yeah, something like that would be kind of a good way to begin. What? Now I'm getting shy. Hey Susan, what's my ideal again? Your ideal? Yeah, that's that thing. Where you want to have sort of an erotic dinner, that thing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you should, there. I should give voice to them. Well, maybe they, they will happen. All right. Yeah, so um, this piece gets a little salty, and that's why you're only hearing a little bit of it right now. Um, it gets into sex, but it's not a story about sex necessarily. I think it's a story about desire and frustration and need. And, and longing. And longing. And this is uh, one of the ways appetite was most interestingly and intimately explored, and that was why we felt, all of us, it was unanimous that this was going to be one of the top picks. We really encourage listeners to, to go to thirdcoastfestival.org and hear the entire piece. So we're almost done listening to a lot of the 2013 Short Docs entries and the winners. Um, we have one more, and I am really curious to hear how you are going to categorize this last piece that we're about to listen to. Well, the easy way is to say it was the crowd pleaser because it won the first ever Third Coast 
People's Choice Short Doc Award. Um, but I also think of it as a profile of someone very interesting, and it's kind of a historical piece, as you'll hear. Blackbird Pot Pie, Not the Pie Umami Made, by Mary T. Diorio Schilling. For some South Jersey residents, Sing a Song of Sixpence is more than just a nursery rhyme. It's supper. Sing a song of sixpence, pockets full of rye. I got blackbirds, I got blackbirds. <laughs> Norris Pugh was a huckster who used to sell blackbirds in his pushcart for 50 cents a peach basketful. See, hucksters would come around when everything was in season. Blackbirds, catfish, clams, vegetables, muskrats, whatever. Four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie. I'm John E. Farner from Salem, New Jersey. And as a youngster, my grandmother was a very good cook. One of the things she cooked for us during the season, which was always uh, in the fall, was blackbird pot pie. Well, the saying says we need uh, 20 and four. <laughs> Whatever you bought, 50, 60, 70 birds, was all put in that one pie. Before you cooked them, you cut the head off, but you left the feet on. So you had something to hold on to when you got your blackbird. When the pie was open, the birds began to sing. Wasn't that a dainty dish to set before the king? It's a very uh, gentle taste. It doesn't taste like chicken. When you ate the uh, blackbirds, you picked them up very carefully and held one end by the feet and the other by the neck, and you very softly chewed or sucked the meat off the blackbird till all the meat was gone. Then you get another blackbird, because when you got the feathers off, there wasn't much left to that little bird. I mean, a blackbird's not too big, a little bigger than a man's thumb. When we ate our blackbird pup pie, someone would always remember a song they sang about the blackbirds. Sing a song of sixpence, a pocket full of rye, four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie. When the pie was open, the birds began to sing. Wasn't that a dainty dish? To set before the king. <laughs> a dainty dish. <laughs> a little bird like it. It was dainty, all right. Blackbird Pot Pie, Not the Pie Umami Made, by Mary T. Diorio Schilling. <laughs> I have to say, when I played this piece for a room full of people, um, they all started singing along. 
It became a sing-along. It was very funny. Um, When we opened up the the voting for the People's Short Talk Award for comments, so many people responded to that song and loving hearing the history of that song. But what I love about this piece is how John talks about the past. And there's just certain word choices that take you back huckster. Uh, I mean, he just just takes you right back to those experiences. So you might remember that earlier in the program we were talking about uh, the fact that some of the best chefs in Chicago made dishes based on these stories, some of these stories, and Abe Conlon from Fat Rice made a blackbird pie, not using blackbirds, but using quail. And just like it was described in the story, the feet were sticking like an inch or two, maybe actually probably two or three inches out of the pie in a circle. (laughs) And it was just so visually, it just was so alarming. Um, Picture the sound of a collective gasp, because that's what happened when Abe walked on stage with this pie and the audience saw, and when he put it down in front of Mary, I think everyone moved back a little bit, as she did, as she moved back from the pie and then dove in. That was Julie Shapiro, former artistic director of the Third Coast Festival. There will be a picture of that blackbird pie on our website, thirdcoastfestival.org. While you're there, listen to more entries to the 2013 Challenge and Challenges Past. Special thanks to the James Beard Foundation for their collaboration on this project, and to Maya Goldberg-Safer, our wonderful Short Docs intern. After supper, he gobbled down all his candy, and as if that wasn't enough, he ate some cookies, too. Then Bill didn't feel hungry anymore. No, sir. This Resound Special is a production of the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago and PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Katie Mingle and curated by Johanna Zorn. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear more than 1,000 outstanding documentaries from around the world and subscribe to our podcast. Support for ReSound comes from Emma, a web-based email marketing and communication service helping businesses and nonprofits manage their email campaigns and online surveys in style. More at myemma.com. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Agadino Foundation, the Menaki Foundation, and the National Endowment for the Arts. The Third Coast Festival is supported in part by a grant from the Illinois Arts Council, a state agency. Special thanks to our many individual contributors, including Paula Kahn. Third Coast Festival was founded in 2000 by WBEZ Chicago and is now an independent nonprofit arts organization. If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. You can also connect with us through Facebook and Twitter. Resound, radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else. <laughs>